Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good morning, good morning and welcome to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name is A.B. Bishop and I will be your host for May while Pam is off looking for the best pizzas in northern Italy. And of course you'll probably find the time to visit a few gardens while she's there. Now today's show has a decidedly native plant bent. For those listeners who don't know me, I live in the Bend of Islands which is near Kangaroo Ground and it's an environmental living zone where the locals go out of their way to protect the native flora and fauna. One of the ways this is achieved is by using only indigenous plants in the garden. We can have veggie gardens, but all other plants should be local species. And that's fine by me because I believe that planting natives can quickly have a direct positive impact on the environment. Someone else who I believe has a strong conservationist outlook is native plant enthusiast and author Neil Marriott. And we'll be chatting with him later in the show about an exciting new initiative, the Wildlife and Art Museum of Australia. But right here and now, joining me in the studio are regular guests and stalwarts of the native horticultural world, Gwen and Roger Elliott. Good morning, guys. Good morning, everyone. Same for me and, and to you, A.B. <laughs> and how's, how's your morning been? Morning's been... We, we actually stayed in town last night. We went to a concert and uh, thought rather than driving back to Berwick last night, we'd just stay in town and come straight here. So we've... Uh, yeah, we had a sleep, woke yes. up and we're here. Fantastic. Yeah, better than a long drive-in. And um, I had my usual um, early morning drive-in dodging the kangaroos. And um, Mm. I always find it quite amusing because there's about a three-kilometre stretch of road where there are a lot of kangaroos every time I come in at that time. And um, there's also a lot of cyclists that um, head off for early morning Uh jaunts up to King Lake and around Uh that area. And it it amazes me how brave they are, to tell you the truth, because I cycled for years and years. And um, going out into the country when you know, no street lamps whatsoever and um, with um, roos jumping everywhere, to me, is pretty brave. Mm. Yeah, well, because mm. they're fairly quiet on bikes too, so the roos don't hear them yeah. as easily as a car. Yeah, mm. and some of them are quite enormous. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, all right, well, I guess we could um, get straight off with some community announcements for uh, today and there's still quite a lot going on, even though mm. the weather's cooling down. Uh, So I'll start off with um, Permaculture of North Central Victoria is inviting everybody to join MC Lisa Heenan and presenter Darren Doherty um, at the International Permaculture Day, which is at uh, Ceres, the Environment Park, on the corner of Roberts and Stewart Street in Brunswick. Um, so it looks like a really full day. Uh, so there's a full program and in, include, it goes through to the evening and includes a special screening of Fair Food, the documentary. Um, and it's basically a celebration connecting the many facets of a permanent culture. Um, ABC TV's Gardening Australia uh, co- um, presenter Costa will be there. And, um, yeah, there's a lot on. So to, to view the full program, it's, it's best to go to um, – they've got a Facebook site, which is um, the usual Ws, um, then uh, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash permaculture north central Victoria. Um, and, yeah, so it's a full day show and a note donation would be appreciated. So that's on today at series. 
Also on today is um, the Villa Elba Open Day. And it's an open house and garden. It's a um, historical house built in uh, around 8082. And it's on three quarters of an acre. And it was originally a family home, a large two-storey mansion. And, um, yeah, the gardens and house have been restored. So that's uh, Villa Alba, and that's at 44 Walmer Street in Kew. And the Melway reference for that is 44H6. And uh, it's open today from 1 till 4. The admission is $10, concession is $8, children are free, and afternoon tea is available with a $3 donation. Uh, So that's Villa Elba. And also on today is the Chrysanthemum Society of Victoria annual exhibition. That's from 12 o'clock till 4 at the Burwood Heights Uniting Church Hall which is on the corner of Burwood Highway and Blackburn Road, and the admission for that is $3. And, Roger, I think you've got something on, a few things on today. Open Gardens Australia, now that's uh, getting near to the end of their, or Open Gardens Australia's openings anyway. So uh, today there are four gardens, and uh, one at Beaconsfield called Warrawee Gardens and the Garden of Judy Millington. And it's a, a really lovely garden. It's a, a mixture of uh, Australian plants and plants from all over the world. And they've put a tremendous amount of work into that garden. So, And autumn colour would be one of the highlights there today. But Judy is mad on grevilleas, so mm-hmm. she's got a huge collection of grevilleas there. And uh, so that's a place to go. That's at 24 Warrawee, W-A-R-R-E. A-W-E-E, Avenue Beaconsfield. Then there's Warrawong at Eltham, and uh, that's got a series of terraces planted with native species around an Alastair Knox house. Oh, yeah. And so a lot of people are pretty keen on Alastair Knox houses, including Pam, who lives in one. (laughs) Um, So that's at 63 Luck Street, Eltham. Then out at Keelaway, over Newton Castle... Is that and lastly, there's Narbathong Farm, and um, this is on so that's five five one. Gardens of Bindra Highway and Narbathong, uh, so, so that's another place to go. The Black Spur, and uh, so it's a spectacular seven acre site. So that's uh, trees, shrubs. And You're listening to Community Radio three CR 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 eight fifty five AM. And once again, autumn colours will be the, the spectacle there. Fantastic. And they also have uh, a wonderful parterre. So mm. that's uh, Narbathong Farm. So there's four. And then, uh, I suppose, advance notice. Uh, final open weekend is on the s- Saturday the 30th and 31st of May. And uh, that's uh, Stephen Ryan's garden, Tagurium, will be open. But I should mention, too, that... Um, Sunday the 10th of May is Cruden Farm opening. Oh, yes. A lot of people really love to go to Cruden Farm. And so Sunday, 10th of May. And um, so at 11am at uh, Cruden Farm, uh, Professor Ginny Lee is going to give a talk on the landscape and the garden, a ramble through Cruden Farm's favourite places. So there'll be guided, guided tours there. 
But that's um, Dame Elizabeth's garden at Cruden Farm. I wonder if that's the last time it's going to be open or if with the um, new sort of garden scheme that Victoria's trying to get up and running, maybe they'll keep uh, it going. uh, There's always a Such a popular garden, isn't it? And I think it will continue to be open for various charities. I think that was Dame Elizabeth's plan for it. Yeah. Uh, And so places like the Murdoch Foundation and... Uh, sudden Infant Death Syndrome and various other... Oh, yeah, Baker Institute. Baker Institute organisations use that um, as a a very special day and fundraising day. Mm -hmm. And I should mention, too, that next Sunday, that would be a great place to to take mum because it's Mother's Day next Sunday. Perfect. And, I mean, it's accessible for all... um, Levels of fitness, you can go around the lake if you want to. Um, you can go in a wheelchair around the gardens, around the house. You know, a great place to take mum. Fingers crossed it'll be a nice fine day. Admission to that one will be $15. And I've ne- never been there before. Is the house open as well? No. 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 Okay, so and are people still living in the house? Yes. Yes. Okay. So. Well, I, I think I, so still. I think, yes. I think so. But um, there are other places like stables and things like that are open. Yeah. People can go through that. And just close by, it's always worth mentioning, the McClellan Gallery, which is really mm. a wonderful sculpture gallery. It's just a gallery and sculpture park, I think, yeah, is the full title, park, isn't it? Right. <laughs> and there, the McClellan, I'm trying to think of the ward, sculpture award it might be. So that that's they're still there. I think they're there till about June or something like that. The entries in that award. Yeah, the mm. entries. And it's really great. You wander through the bush and you've got all these sculptures just appearing out of the bush areas. Lovely. So it's, it's a great mm. place to lovely go. Lovely gallery, lovely little restaurant. You can yep. spend a full day there too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now on, um, this is during the week, so on May the 6th, uh, this week coming, uh, Friends of Burnley Gardens invite you to join us for a talk with Simon Rickard on heirloom vegetables and the stories they have to tell. Simon Rickard is an author and a vegetable grower. His gardening passions are many and varied. Simon will present an illustrated talk on heirloom vegetables, which have become more popular and are now available from some mainstream nurseries. He will tell us about where and how heirloom vegetables have arisen and their social history. So that's on Wednesday, May the 6th at Burnley College, 500 Yarra Boulevard in Richmond at 7.30pm. Cost is $5 for members and $15 for members and bookings are essential and the phone number to book is 9035 6861 or email a.smith@unimelb.edu.au so the phone number is 9035 6861 and the email is a.smith at unimelb.edu.au and parking is available in the boulevard. Mm. Listeners will know Simon's voice because he appears on 3CR now and again. Yes, he so, does. So, That's so, right. So, yeah, yeah well, that, I reckon that'd be a really interesting talk. Yeah, I know. Yeah. He's an excellent speaker. I've got one for today again, oh, AB, to add to today's. Oh, yes. Yeah, um, out at Eltham, uh, let me see, I forget what the name of the hall is there, but it's the corner of Broham Street and Main Road. Uh, there is a special native plant day today. Uh, there is a sale of lots of plants, lots of sellers are going to be there from 10 in the morning till 3 in the afternoon. Oh, pardon me. <coughs> oh, sorry about that. 
Uh, so 10 till 3, and there's demonstrations on propagating and all sorts of things in the afternoon. Uh, I won't give the phone number and email because it's on today and I'm sure they're already there setting up. It's being put on by the Australian Plant Society. Uh, there is a name for that hall, I think, AB, isn't it? But it's the corner of Main Road and Broham Street, B-R-O-U-G-H-A-M Street, and either Mr Melway or Mr Google will know exactly how you can get there. But that's it's been going for years and years and years, and it's always a very good day to go along to. I think you just followed the crowds for that one. Because, yes. yeah, it's quite I think popular. the plants are all grown by members of that uh, That's right. The APS group. Yeah, and yeah. they okay. put a lot of effort into creating really good displays and mm, um, there's a lot right. of information there about the plant. So you're not just getting lumped with a plant to take home and not know what to do with it. They, there's a lot of people there that will explain exactly how to look after the plants. Yeah. The other thing that I was going to mention, we mentioned a, a few moments ago that um, Cruden Farm uh, is open next Sunday, which is Mother's Day. Uh, and actually, when I was lying in bed early this morning thinking it's time I got up, uh, I was thinking, OK, next Sunday is Mother's Day and there are probably people wondering, what can I, you know, what am I going to give Mum? And I thought, we've got our Radiothon coming up on the 21st of June. Oh, very garden. cheeky, Gwen, very cheeky. Very, very <laughs> cheeky. But look, sometimes little ideas like this can be very helpful. And I thought, how about a card for Mum popping a $50 note in it or something and say... Um, we want you to keep Sunday, June the 21st free. We're going to go, pick you up, go into town. We'll have morning tea or lunch in Smith Street, Collingwood, Fitzroy. It depends which side of the road you're dying on, I think, isn't it? But, um, you know, that would be a lovely thing to do. And to say to Mum, bring your $50 in and you'll get a whole heap of gardening bargains at a good price from 3CR. People can come in here, I think, from 10 o'clock onwards. So... You know, you can have a, a cuppa or something with mum. I reckon that would be a good day. It's because a fantastic idea. Often, you know, with mums, they've got all they need and they don't want more, quote, stuff, but gardening things are always very welcome. So it was just a thought I had that that would be a nice thing for some mums come in and, you know, just have a nice morning out and she can take home a lot of bargains. It's but a wonderful idea because there's so much stuff, isn't there? I mean, we've all mm. been here for the Radiothon and the whole place is a hive of activity and there's thousands of books there's you know bookcases full of product and you know lot, lots and lots of really um good ideas and Seeds good presents and fertilizers yep. and little digging tools That's and all right. sorts yep. of bits and pieces yep. um you know you can listen to the program and ring in and reserve the the thing you want uh and you know pay when you come in but it was just a little thought i had for mother's day great <laughs> idea fine and Australian Plant Society, the Keela Plains Group, they've got a meeting on Friday, May the 8th and uh, at 7.50pm. It's very clever of them. They get you there at 7.50, you <laughs> see, so you can, they can start right on 8 o'clock. But John Del Pratt from University of Melbourne Burnley campus is going to be speaking on the topic of growing grassland plants. And John has been growing grassland plants for a long, long, long time and very experienced and he was involved in the display that was put out in the front of the State Library. People might have noticed it over the summer period for the grassland plants. So, um, so John, experienced, good speaker, and the venue is the Uniting Church corner of Roberts Road and Glenis Avenue Airport West. If you want further details, you can contact Anne on nine. 
336 3228. And so, John, you know, he's a horticultural scientist. He's done a lot of work on germination of seed. And uh, so that would be a good uh, talk to go to. And uh, the good thing about the Australian Plant Society of Keeler, the Keeler Plains Group, is they've got young people there. They're not all old, grey-haired people. <laughs> how, uh, how did they do that? <laughs> well, Jason, their uh, president, is a live wire. He's a marine biologist, but he's really good. And so it's, 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 it's a bit of a buzz of a place to go to. So that's uh, Australian Plant Society, Keeler Plains Group, Friday, May the 8th. Mm, and grasses and strappy leaf plants, they're becoming more and more popular, aren't they? And I'm absolutely in love with them. You know, to me, there's nothing nicer than seeing a really feature eucalypt with these swaying poas or something mm-hmm. underneath. It's, yeah, yeah quite because special. A lot of John's work was done in the Keeler, in the Keeler Plains, in the grasslands of the volcanic plains. So that, that's why they've got him talking there. Sure. And that, it's a really strong APS group down there, isn't it? And, mm. um, yeah, I mean, they put out a booklet, I think it was yeah, you know, a couple of years book. ago, yeah, which is, excellent. yeah, brilliant booklet. Yeah. Um, on all the native plants for that area. So, yeah, yeah. Oh, very good. Well, now, if you've tu- just tuned in, you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name is A.B. Bishop, and with me in the studio are Gwen and Roger Elliott. It's time now to invite our listeners to join us. So if you have a question or a comment, we'd love to hear from you. To talk to us on air, you can call 94190155 or... Or if you're feeling a bit shy and you just want to have a chat with Anne on the outside line, the number is 94198377. So to talk to us on air, 94190155 or to go through to the outside line, 94198377. Now, guys, one of the things I'm taking full advantage of while hosting the show this May is the chance to learn a little bit more about some of the Garden Show's regular guests. Because everyone who's on the show is an expert in one way or another, and I thought it would be interesting to I, conduct my own mini interviews. <laughs> Roger, stopping me already. Yeah, this word expert <laughs> a bit, a bit overused, I think. No, not at all, especially not in your case. Um, now, yes, I was thinking, you know, who better to start with than you guys? So I have known you for a little while and I've been privy to some of the amazing achievements that um, you've both achieved. And um, But for the listener's benefit, I'm going to reel off a few examples. So, Ooh. yeah, you can stop blushing now, both of you. Um, okay, you've published a plethora of books and articles, including the Encyclopedia of Australian Plants, Volumes 1 to 9, that Roger wrote with David Jones. And, Roger, you've just published... Pests, Diseases and Ailments of Australian Plants, also in conjunction with David Jones and Sandra Jones. Mm -hmm. Uh, In 2001, you were both awarded the Order of Australia Medal for Service to the Horticulture of Australian Native Plants, which is, yeah, pretty special. And in 2014, you were awarded the highest honour of the Horticulture Media Association of Australia, which is the Gold Laurel, for your work in the media. And um, you also started a native plant nursery in the 60s and have been involved with Australian native plants one way or another here and overseas for over half a century, which is a damn long time. (laughs) It's a few grey hairs now, isn't it? Yeah. So I was just wondering, how did you both get involved in native plants? Uh, I suppose I can start. My involvement was probably through bushwalking Mm -hmm. and um, trying to work out what these plants were. 
and uh, went to the places like the Grampians and other places too. But uh, the Grampians had a special, a special influence on me, I think. Yeah. And uh, so it just it started, you know, started propagating these things, and um, just gradually got into it more and more, and trying to find out mm-hmm. about them and uh, and grow them, and uh, and it just grew. Sometimes like doors uh, open that you don't anticipate too. I know Roger doesn't like talking about himself, so I'll talk about him. Um, <laughs> he, he was studying industrial chemistry um, and lived at Croydon at that stage and put an ad in the Croydon local paper for some gardening work at weekends, as many students do to support their um, time in uni or wherever. Uh, and it happened that a lady that some listeners I'm sure will have heard of called Edna Walling lived mm. in the Croydon area and she replied to Roger's ad in the local paper and said, um, yes, I can give you some gardening work. And so, OK, this young lad in short pants sort of fronted up and uh, did some work for Edna and she was a very strong lady, I think, and she declared that he was utterly wasted in industrial chemistry and he should become a gardener. Now, I mean... I think Roger said, you better talk to my parents. They've been supporting me through to here. And that sort of, it all happened after that, didn't it, oh, yeah. Rog? You became a gardener. Yeah, and, and she said she could get me, a, you know, full-time employment. Yeah. And uh, so I said, fine, talk to my parents. And uh, anyway, she got me a job with a landscape firm called E.H. Hammond. This was the late 50s. And um, E.H. Hammond was the largest landscaping firm, probably in Australia then. And uh, they had about 45, 50 employees, you know. And there was a, a chap there called Glenn Wilson too. Um, some people might know that name, landscape designer. I don't think he ever liked being called a landscape architect, but, but Glenn and I hit it off and um, he had somebody to talk about Australian plants and so did I. Yeah. And, and, the, and when, it, when I went there, I, I was pretty keen on setting up a nursery anyway and I said to Hammonds, look, you know, I'd like to do that. And they said, oh, that's fine. So I was there for five years. But it was a tremendous grounding just in soils, left thing called levels, you know, which way the drainage goes, um, and working on very small projects to very large projects. So almost like an apprenticeship to start with. Yeah, it was a bit like that. And in, in the end, I... I used to be buying all the plants for the, the projects, you know, and stuff like that. So, and so that was Australian plants and plants from all yeah. over the world. So yeah. that was a good grounding in mm. the broad area of horticulture. And Hammonds did some of the the biggest gardens in Victoria, oh, and yeah, uh, you know, and I think they did some. Did they do some work at Cruden Farm? Um, yeah, yeah, I think. Uh, there was yeah, a bit, and bit you of work know, there. lots of the the yeah. big gardens in. Turak and other areas were E.H. Hammond constructions and they had a full-colour back page of your garden magazine every month, another E.H. Hammond construction, and there was a photo of one of the big gardens. And were they um, as into native plants as you were or did you sort of have to slip them in surreptitiously? Glenn was the designer for them and so he used to use quite a lot. Um, But it was really, you know, choosing plants for the different projects. You know, sometimes when we did, um, well, they they were involved in golf courses and uh, also things like the um, Carey ovals out at, on the Yarra and places like that. So a lot of Australian plants went in there and yep. other projects. So there there was a mixture of things. Yeah, so lot, lots of large scale projects as well as normal oh, quite houses. Small, houses. Quite small. Yeah, yeah. It, it was varied. Did bowling greens, all all sorts of stuff, tennis courts. Yep. But it was really good good grounding, just learning. 
about the soils mainly was one of the really good things. Yeah, soil is, is just so important, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm. And what about yourself, Gwen? Um, around about that time, Roger and I got together in a firm friendship and um, life has just gone on together from there. Um, my dad was a, a vegetable grower and so I certainly knew you know, how to get my hands dirty. But then we got married when we were in our early 20s and you're really still just working out your directions at that stage. And so our direction has sort of been together with um, Australian plants since that time. You know, we've just both worked in it together. I didn't have technical training in in botany and neither did Roger either. I mean, Mm. he's lectured at universities on botany and he's lectured all over various countries as well. But um, without the degrees, which are necessary now, I think, if you want to, um, you know, have a position in um, academic horticultural circles. But um, now my training was secretarial and that's been mm-hmm. very handy too throughout what we've done together. Yeah, hmm. yeah. I always say it doesn't matter what job you do over the years, you always use those skills somewhere down the track, don't mm-hmm. you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But even just thinking about, I know I made inquiries at Burnley when I was getting fairly keen just to find out what courses and they didn't they hardly touched Australian plants in those days mm-hmm. you know, so, it wasn't anything so mm. I thought oh you know I, I won't bother about that so I just you know did a lot of reading and talked to a lot of people yeah and there and there are a lot of people I worked at a little nursery just well not didn't work there but in Croydon there was a chap there Jack McLeod and uh, he said look come any time you want and just you know, you can work and do propagation and stuff. And uh, and he was an amazing character with uh, arthritis. He could hardly walk, and in every step he took, he would grunt in pain. You know, but he was just so so helpful. Yeah. And saying, yeah. look, just come and talk. And when he went out of business, he gave me all his seeds. You know, had this huge collection of seeds. Wonderful. So, but all these people, you know, and I, I think you can find that if you if you show a keenness. And there'll be people who respond to that. Absolutely, yeah. And there have been quite a few changes in the world of native plants over the years. So Mm. what have been some that stand out for you guys? I think they're regarded now as garden plants. Back when we started, they weren't. Mm -hmm. um, Australian plants belonged in the bush uh, and proper plants belonged in our gardens. And so, you know, native plants, oh, there were so few... um, you know, years and years ago, um, you could probably name them on your ten fingers, mm. the plants that were could be bought in a, a standard nursery. Yeah, mm. yeah there yeah. were very few. Uh, some were suitable, some weren't. And we brought, uh, the industry brought in plants like, the one that sticks out to me is a Melaleuca, Melaleuca armillaris. Uh, from where, Rog? Sort of, oh, Far East Gippsland, New South Wales. Yeah, uh, but when it was introduced into cultivation, the printed label said eight feet, it was back in feet then or something, yeah, grows right. eight foot tall or something. And <laughs> now we've just straight converted that to metres, you know, eight metres yeah. tall or not quite. But we brought plants into cultivation and they sometimes differ in cultivation to what they do uh, in the wild. And just going off the track a bit, Roger's brought in a little plant this morning that's an illustration of that, haven't you? Do you want to mention that, Roger, for a tick? Just oh, yeah, it's a plant called Conostylus, and um, it's a fantastic group genus of plants related to kangaroo paw. And 
back in probably 50s, 60s, there was a botanist did work on them and he said, oh, he didn't feel they had any horticultural potential. <laughs> and he, he was just so wrong. Um, but this is a little one called Conostatus satidra, and satidra means bristly. And when you have a look at the side oh. along the very narrow leaves, they've got these little silvery bristles. And it's a little plant. It goes about uh, probably 25 centimetres high and maybe 30 to 50 centimetres across. But it's uh, bright yellow flowers. The flowers don't look like a kangaroo paw when you, you look at them because they're, they're slightly tubular and starry. But they, they are close. They just related. haven't got any toes to them. No, they? that's right. Mm. But it, um, it's a little clumping plant and it's just a delightful plant. All the conostylus are Western Australian and uh, mainly southwestern WA. Yeah. But there's a whole whole range of them. Some have uh, quite nice, slightly floppy, narrow grass-like leaves, grey, just covered in grey hairs. Um, but they're, they're a group that, uh, you know, you used to be able to get quite a few species in nurseries, but you don't see many now. You might see three or four species in nurseries, I think. What I was going to mention, Rog, you t- we were talking just briefly there about things behaving differently in cultivation. Mm. Oh, and yeah. many years ago, Stephen Hopper, who was then director of King's Park in Perth, came to give a lecture in Victoria and he stayed at our place for the weekend he was there. And um, he went out in the garden, as you can imagine he did. Uh, he was later director of Kew Gardens in England. Now he's back in Western Australia. But he saw some conostylus in our garden, didn't he, Rog? Yeah, he, was, uh, he did a botanical revision of this um, first, uh, I suppose, treatment of, of, of conostylus done in any detail. And Steve was, you know, very interested in that. And even when he did his PhD, he did it on kangaroo paw. You know Stephen Hopper? He's a kangaroo. No, I don't no, no. know. Okay, no. Stephen, delightful chap. And um, so we had a plant growing in our garden. He said, that's Conostylus absens, because we didn't know what it was. It hadn't been named. And he said, I named it absence because it doesn't have any hairs on it, yet our plants growing in cultivation had hairs. Mm-hmm. So he had to rename his his, his plant because of that. Um, so what often happens when you get them into the soft areas of cultivation compared to the exposed areas of out in the bush where we're often sand and wind's blowing all the time, the, the plant doesn't get a chance to grow leaves. But in the garden situation, uh, it, it can be quite different. And also the other thing with cultivation too is the plants usually grow, uh, not always, but probably at least half as big again as to what you will see them out in nature. Mm. And even the foliage is larger and all things. I know when we were working on the encyclopaedia, it was interesting if you went to a botanical treatment and you'd see the dimensions of the leaves and such, and then you compare them with the ones growing in cultivation. Cultivated plants were much larger Mm -hmm. in in many aspects, even flowers and a whole range of things. Well, it makes sense really, doesn't it? Because you're looking after them and and you want want to bring the best out in them and you want them to thrive rather than just survive as they do in the bush. Yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, but it was interesting just with Steve coming and saying, oh. You've wrecked my. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, but that's actually interesting because I would have imagined it would be the other way around that there would be, the leaves would be hairy out in the bush where it needed a bit more protection. Mm, Yeah, so it's. um, yeah, interesting. And and a lot of botanists now do actually grow plants. Well, not a lot, but quite a few of the, the good botanists actually grow grow plants so they can see them 
in cultivation as well as in the in the bush. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean that is it's so important. I mean, even now you um, read plant labels, and you know a tree might be listed as anywhere between you know six and twenty meters, and, yeah. and it's kind of a bit of a scary thought sometimes, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I know we we had that dilemma when we did the encyclopedia. Yeah, because we were writing for all of Australia, and so you know you find that uh, in some plant some plants down south. Uh, where it's cooler and all that don't grow as large as the ones up north and even the lemon-scented myrtle, people would you know Backhousia citriodora, mm. and that can be a big tree, yeah. you know, 20 metres plus. Yeah. Uh, yet in cultivation here, well, there was one at um, Ripon Lee, I think, was it Ripon Lee? May, may not be anyway, but it was fairly large, but usually they get maybe to five metres here. Maybe maximum. Yeah. After quite, and you can keep them to a metre height if you want to, just by pruning. So. Yeah. yeah. One of the ones that stands out for me is the Angophora costata, and mm-hmm. in Melbourne it's used frequently yeah. as a street tree, and um, you know it's quite a straight trunk and lovely, um, lovely foliage, and you know quite bushy and. Um, but then you go to Jarvis Bay and uh, there's large stands of it there in gullies and um, just because it's such a different environment, the trunks are twisted, they're quite gnarled and, you know, the trunks actually get huge, yep. Um, yep. huge in girth but very, very different, like almost a completely different plant to mm, what you mm, see in Melbourne. Mm, yeah, that's right because mm. I often think that um, sometimes nursery people destroy the beauty of angophras because they stake them all nice and straight. And oh. really, to me, the beauty of angophras is oh, that yeah. twisted thing. And there, there were some really good plants at uh, Monash University. They've been there a long time. Mm-hmm. But I was talking to a character who used to work there and he's saying, oh, quite a few of those they're taking down because of development and things like that. But some really good examples were at Monash University. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Another situation like that is often on coastal headlines, headlands um, you can find uh, banksias that are only uh, a metre or so high, uh, you know, acres of them, not just one or two plants, and people, oh, this is a lovely banksia, and they take home some seed, <laughs> yeah. put it in nice the garden. Nice prostrate banksia. Yeah, and uh, it's... It reverts back to what it would be in an, another situation and you can get a, a shrub. Mm. So but that's environment, whereas mm. sometimes, say, with the back house here, if things like the lemon myrtle, if that grows in a, a forest gully, it will just go up and up and up mm. to get some light. Mm. So natural conditions can certainly influence the, the development of a plant, mm. um, as it can with humans, you know, our environment and upbringing can influence which way we, we develop. Mm. But um, mm. but even with just thinking of the banks, your prostrate banks, there has been a lot of selection. Oh, yes. And of plants taken off headlands, and so mm. um, there have been some, you know, not really lovely dwarf, low-growing low yep. banks, your birthday candles, one is really prostrate, and then there's snapper point, you know, introduced by nurseries, and and they do keep low because they've selected from low-growing plants. Yeah. But even those you don't grow from seed now, no. you would take cuttings of yep. them to make sure you get a clone of the parent. And mm. I think that's the advantage of growing plants from cuttings. You do get a clone and you get um, a plant which resembles very strongly, if not absolutely identically, the plant it was taken off. Whereas when you grow something from seed, you might get a plant that's the same, but you may not. Mm. You might get a better one. Yeah. You might get yep. a better one. You know, that's, that's the thing. 
by yeah, taking oh, seed right. off some of the... That's you know, how the breeders work. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Right. yeah. Well, I'll just uh, take this opportunity to invite listeners to call in if you feel like it. Um, so to talk to us on air, call 94190155 or if you want to have a chat with Anne on the outside line, the number is 94198377. And, yeah, so there has been a lot of uh, work done in cultivation of native plants, hasn't there? So I I suppose that's um, a lot sort of driven by consumer interest. You know, people are understanding native plants a bit more, so there's, you know, that need. Oh, yeah, like AB, yeah, I think there has. And um, also with – there were quite a few specialist Australian plant nurseries back in the 60s and 70s. Not many around now, but a lot of the other general nurseries have taken on the role, I suppose, of, of growing a fairly wide range. Maybe Not as wide as, you know, there used to be. You have people like Karanga Nursery who have got a huge, huge range, mm-hmm. but there's not many people like that around, even in other states, doing that. So you think there's there's not a bigger range now as there used to be? A different range, yep. I think. Yeah. Um, probably more so in smaller plants. There's mm-hmm. a, a wider range. Yeah. And um, but you know, there's diff- different sort of. I know often nurseries aren't interested in having plants in pots unless they're rather spectacular in flower and things like that. Lily pilly's a bit different. There's been a lot of you know huge work done on selecting lily pillies there's mm. hundreds of them mm. um but um no there's been more actual breeding work done as mm-hmm. you probably know with with angus stewart and his daughter and, and other people you know and even breeding for of australian plants for overseas consumption whereas they you know northern hemisphere they want something that's going to flower for maybe 12 18 weeks and uh, just over the summer period or spring summer so there's there's been a lot of work in that sort of area. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, more the smaller plants and and I suppose plants that are suited to smaller gardens and pots and because that that's what people are used to in a way, aren't they? That potted colour in a yeah, way. Yeah, that's that's right. There's quite a lot of work done on grafting and uh, you know doing um, grafting of eucalypts, mm-hmm. you know the red flowering gum or corymbia as they call them these days. So and they've been selecting smaller. Um, selections and grafting them. So there's there's work like that happening. Yeah, and also I suppose with uh, bush tucker plants, yep. there's there's yep. a lot mm. of work being done on that, and uh, yeah, it's it's quite exciting. Yeah, well that's right. Just we were coming out yesterday morning, and one of our neighbours, we just said to him, "Now you realise you can eat those fruits on the lily pillies?" She said, "Would you believe I was watching a television show, and the person was saying the same thing." So she hadn't tried them, but she's going to try them now. So oh, she's got a good crop. Yeah, oh, it's, it's a fantastic. huge crop yeah. of Sizigium um, australis, which is probably one of the better ones that grows down here, as far as producing fruit that are nice and nice and tasty. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I grew up in South Africa, and um, I remember many days spent all, along our hedge of lily pilly, which, of course, I had no idea what it was. All mm. I knew were the fruit were kind of quite tart and a little mm. bit sweet, and mm. I'd stand there for ages. And crisp. Yeah, very Lovely. crisp and juicy. Mm. Mm. All right, now we are going to go to Michael in Blackburn. Good morning, Michael. You there, Michael? No, Michael is not there. Not there. He's 
he's going to come back, hopefully. Anyway, we'll... Uh, but, um, no, look, I think at one stage, you know, people hark back to the 60s and 70s with a, regarding Australian plants, and a lot of the plants offered then weren't the right plant for certain situations. So. Mm-hmm. And I think the nursery industry has learned from that, hopefully. Yeah. Because they, quite a few of the general nurseries got on the bandwagon. You know, they, oh, people are buying Australian plants, so they were growing things like Malaluca armillaris was planted everywhere, and um, even big, you know, blue gums were, were planted in terrace houses in Carlton and all that sort of thing. And that did cause, there's a backlash against that. Mm. And uh, it was just probably because the advice wasn't right in in those days. Yeah, and there were a lot of myths around Australian plants as well, weren't Mm -hmm. there? That you didn't have to water them, you didn't have to prune them, you didn't have to do anything with them and they would just look after themselves. Yep, yep. And there's some that, will they're fine. But, But, you know, Australian plants come from all climates, all soils, and uh, there's a huge variation. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think if you do want to um, have a good-looking specimen in the garden, you've got to put in a little bit of work with it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. Um, look, we're going to um, try Ralph now in Mount Waverley. Are you there, Ralph? Yes, I am. Oh, good morning. How are you, Ralph? Uh, good, good morning, Roger. Yeah. Uh, for three years I've had trouble with calistamines eating my... but uh, being a... Being, uh, Eaten up by tiny caterpillars. Okay. Uh, three or four plants have been completely denuded. Okay. And uh, I, I, I controlled them one year with carbaryl, mm-hmm. and then they came back the next year and I missed them. Yep. They're such tiny little caterpillars that I don't see them until the trees are almost denuded. Okay. Do and they tend? They're, they're back again now this year. Okay. Do they tend to form a web? And is there a webbing? Amongst the leaves, or no, you know, that's not noticeable. No, okay, okay. So they're um, fine. Look, you know, you can use nasty sprays, but I, I'm not too keen on that sort of stuff. Sometimes, even just dislodging them with a, a hard spurt of water from a hose, just to upset them a bit, and that may knock them on the ground and. Um, you know that that can can help control. You can use even uh, sometimes one of the horticultural oils can help control. One of one of the problems sometimes if you start spraying with too many things, you end up and killing all the goodies. Mm-hmm. That's one of the problems. Um, do they upset the flowering of your calistamins? Do they, they end up flowering, or they really do cause huge havoc? They have, in fact, completely denuded three okay. three of my plants this year also. Okay. Uh, so they'll never flower. Yep. All right. Um, another thing you could do, if you see them where they're concentrated, to cut those branches off and put them in the, in the garbage or whatever, and yes. then just hopefully you'll get new growth come. Even give them a bit of fertiliser at the same time. Um, just to spurt them on again, and uh, that that's one way of you know getting getting rid of them. Yeah, and just uh, keep up their general health as well, Ralph. Just uh, you know, uh, an 
application of uh, seaweed fertilizer, you know, foliar application is is always a good idea just to, you know, really get the um, health back into the plant because often pests and diseases will attack a plant if it's already um, got certain signs of weakness, if if it's struggling a bit. So if you just give it a bit of extra TLC for a while, that should help it as well. Now, Roger, you mentioned something about the oils before. What what was that? Oh, the oils, you know, white oil. Or eco oil. Or eco oil or pest oil. There's a whole range of them. Um, They they can be quite good for controlling things, but they will also affect some of your good things. If you've got good insects there, they will be affected at the same time by the oil. But it's a a fairly non-toxic treatment. Um, so you could, you know, that can be used. Roger, the caterpillars are not the sort of critters that would be encouraged to be in moist newspaper around the base not, of the not, plant. Not, no, not, I was, not, not really. I was gl- grasping yeah. at straws there, Ralph. But with some critters, you can put some uh, moist crumpled newspaper around the base of the plant, and the offending critters all mm. uh, go in there overnight. And in the morning, you can get rid of those newspapers. Mm. But I, I didn't think it was the no, caterpillars. No, but as no. I said, I was yeah. grasping at straws. Yeah, are they little, little tiny caterpillars? Oh, yes, they are. Oh, yeah. I, I suppose they'd be about uh, four millimetres long. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and too many of them to, to squish by hand, I suppose? Uh, we <laughs> might, yes, and too many trees more. Than, oh, too yes. many trees, yeah. yeah. It's a big bank of crystamins uh, uh, in the nature strip okay. area. Yeah. Mm. yeah, anyway, look, we're, we're probably not solving your problem for you, Ralph. But it, um, I, I would, if, if they're all congregated... In some areas, I'd tend to clip those brand, or you know, branchlets off and and put them in your garbage. And, uh, They're really scattered around pretty generally. Yeah, over. that that could be. Mm. Yeah, but if there are some congregated and and they, they would tend to congregate at certain times, so if you just keep an eye on them and and when they're like that, you know. Um, probably even late afternoon before they start their work. They're mainly probably working during night, I would think. But uh, yeah, Ralph, um, did you notice them last year? I didn't see them, but they yeah. they still affected the plants. They're so they're, so, they're, they're green, the same colour yeah. as the leaves. Very yeah. They're very hard to see. Yeah. 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 yeah, I think we're not saying that the, there are not solutions, Ralph. There are, of course. Um, Nurseries can offer you a number of products that, yes, this will knock them good and hard. Yes. But, you know, for the sake of uh, your health and also the the health of other things around you, we're a bit reluctant to suggest that. But, I mean, if you're desperate and want to do it, you can have a chat to your nursery and I'm sure they'll say, you know, try spraying this. Um, and just maybe get the you, most environmentally you, sensitive maybe, one you can. Maybe you just need to do it once or twice, and but yep. certainly we don't recommend you know the use of the the very toxic things on a regular basis. But um, you know that's the option you've got to use something once or twice to try and get rid of them. Yes. Okay. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks for your call. Not particularly Later. helpful, but um, but well, I mean it's also so yeah. important to get the health the health of the plant up, isn't it? So mm. maybe if he does spray and then you know, as Roger was saying, prune him back, give him a bit of a feed, you know, some seaweed solution, and yeah, just. Mm. Mm. I don't know. Ralph's been gardening for a long while, and you know sometimes. 
you know, your phys- your ability to squash them and even see them yeah. um, diminishes and, yeah, it becomes a, a more of a challenge. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, one thing in my area at the moment, there's um, been these um, very small caterpillars and they've been the, the same sort of problem. They've been really hoeing into the eucalypts mm. of the area and, um, you know, haven't seen them ever before. You know, I've lived in that area for 12 years, never seen them, but all of a sudden it's like they're raining caterpillars and they do. They just fall yeah. out of the yep. ukes onto you and they're, yeah. And, and, that, and that can happen. You can get a... You know, an influx. Yeah, yeah. Maybe a solution is to, to invite the grandchildren over or the great grandchildren <laughs> yeah. over and have some special treat for. I know one stage our son many years ago wanted a new basketball and um, they'd had some pine trees taken out on our property and there were seedlings everywhere. And Roger said to him, Look, get a, pull up a 100 pine seedlings, which are only about four inches high or something, uh, and you can have your basketball. Oh! <laughs> but he raced out and sort of 15 minutes later came home with two, came back with 250. You know, they were just, you know, it was like a lawn. So maybe grandchildren, Ralph, yep. may be able to do something with caterpillars. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, now we are going to go to Frank in Craigieburn. Good morning, Frank. Good morning, and uh, what's your name? My name's AB. Okay, then, and uh, Roger, of course. Hi, and Roger Ingrid. Good news. Uh, I, I reside in the, uh, an area, what is known as the Craggyburn Grasslands. Yep, yep. It's the only patch of native grasses in, left in Victoria, you know, and uh, I'm right in the middle of it. Yep. The council gives me information now and again, it's very good. Uh, uh, but uh, there's two, two or three things. During this dry spell we had, which was very dry a few weeks back, can you remember? Yep, yep. Well, I think it was, I've been here over 30 years and it was uh, very sharp and severe. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the imported grasses have all died, but there's green patches or clumps of green uh, here and there. And uh, I was wondering if the uh, native grasses, like uh, yeah, look, it, it could be once again not not seen them, Frank. But that yes, that, that that could be. Uh, See, some I, of I the... do know the kangaroo grass. Yeah, and the tuss- the tussock is it the tussock? No tussock grass. Tussock grass. It, it, it's a green clump with spiky, spiky. Uh, but now I, I'd like to know how to get it back to its original. Okay, I mean. Uh, I have. I generally get from native trees, uh, native plants from oh. you know from a big firm, yep. which I know. And uh, it's the South Australian made fertilizer, uh-huh. but natives only. I was just wondering if that would be any good for for uh, you know. Yeah, look. So, sometimes I think they've found that uh, even less fertilizer is good yeah, for getting. Yeah, for getting it, the native grasses for grasses only for trees. But yeah. of course, is there any way that I could get get it my small way of getting it back to its original form, you know, now, like we we ment- mentioned earlier, I don't know whether you heard, there's a chap John Del Pratt and he is is probably one of the most experienced people as far as um volcanic plains grasses and things. He's giving a talk on Friday, May the 8th. So that's this coming Friday. Oh, wouldn't that be nice if I could get there? Yeah, and <laughs> 
you can't get there. Would have been whereabouts? It's Airport West. Oh. So it's not too far from you. No. But, uh, and I can give on. you the address. It's the Uniting Church oh. on the corner of Roberts Road uh-huh. and Glenis Avenue, uh-huh. Airport West. And it's the Australian Plant Society, the Keeler Plains Group. And there'll be people there who are who live in the same region as you, yes. and and a lot of them are very experienced people. So I experienced, yeah, they're experienced, experienced in, yes. yeah, and there's very not a lot of really knowledgeable people there. I've but, I've noticed the Roberts don't touch it, yeah, and okay. uh, oh, but as I said, all the imported grasses have died. Yeah, the first okay. time that's happened. Okay, okay. and uh, and uh, I was wondering if. Horse, I keep the horses out out of the paddocks because well, there's no grass. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. they won't eat the well. I don't know whether they eat the native grass or not. No, but uh, look, John Del Pratt would be really a good bloke to talk well, to. Well, keep my eyes open. I'll keep my ears open. Yeah, sure. Frank, I can give you a phone number that you could ring, and maybe there might even be somebody who could pick you up and take you there. But look, I'll, mm-hmm. have you but, got a pen? Look, I've got that many forms to fill. You know, <laughs> formed out. You know. <laughs> Okay. I've had the electric power lines put under, yeah. and one year I'm still signing the forms. Yeah, no, it wasn't a form I was going to give you. It was a phone number. Yes, well, I've got to find a pen, though. You find a pen when you finish talking, and I'll give a phone number in a couple of minutes' time. Okay, then. All righty. <laughs> okay, thanks, Frank. Thank, Thank you. Thanks very much. Best of luck. Bye. All right, and we will go straight to Elaine in Heidelberg. Good morning, Elaine. Uh, good morning. Uh, this is another question. Yeah, caterpillars. Caterpillars, but my caterpillars are a little bit different. Are they? <laughs> These ones, they're about three centimetres long. Yeah. They have a big, round, black, shiny head. Yes. And the end is um, a very pointy one, uh-huh. and it it's black, Okay. the tail. Yep. Uh, I had them for the first time last okay. year, but yeah. it wasn't really a big problem. Okay. This year I have hundreds. Yeah, and they're all gathered together? No. Don't, don't they tend to, they don't walk, have you seen them crawling along the ground together or not? Yes, along the fence. Yeah, okay. Uh, they sound a bit like a sawfly caterpillar, but ah. but once again, I without seeing them, but um, and they can really, they do a a lot of damage in a very short time. They work very well at night time. But, uh, Sorry, what was the name of the caterpillar? I, it sounds a bit like a sawfly, S-A-W, fly okay. caterpillar, right. with a pointy tail at the back. Yes. But, um, they leave just the skeleton of the leaf. Mm, but oh, okay, it might be a slightly different one. Usually sawflies will eat the whole leaf. The very top that they're soft and tender, okay. they eat everything. But yeah. the lower branches that the leaves are harder, then I see only the skeleton. Okay. What plants are they on, Elaine? Oh, oh um, a bottle brush. Uh, bottle brush too. Okay. Oh, okay, because the yeah. sawfly, they'd usually be on the eucalypts. On eucalypts they, yeah. usually, yeah. 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 Um, do you, you've what? probably got too many to put a glove on and squash them all, have you? Too many to they're do that? about five trees and, five and trees. they're about four metres tall. Mm. Yeah, okay. Once again, a really hard spray with a hose or water and just knock them knock them off. That that can help, you know, if, if you get a real 
fine if you've got a nozzle on your spray which has a jet spray. Um, that that can end up damaging quite a few of them. Yeah, and uh, it's about yeah, breaking really, that life cycle, isn't it? Mm, yeah. It seems they they suck a lot on the tree. It's like when I take a little twig and I try to catch them so I can kill them. Yeah, it's very hard to remove them. Yeah. Okay. 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 Well, look, maybe you might have to resort to one of the the sprays, uh, an oil spray or something like that, white oil, which will suffocate them. And uh, you might just have to do a couple of sprays of those of that, and and, and see how you go. Um, but um, at this time of year, insect activity slows down a bit, so you mightn't be affecting too many other of the beneficial insects. But you, if you with any spray, you're probably going to affect some of your your good insects, you know. So, um, but to try and control them. Uh, maybe you might have to resort to uh, one of the white oil or eco oil or pest oil. Can they deplete the tree? If yeah, I they can. can. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. They can. And but, what is their cycle? Um, well, there'll be butterflies or moths okay. that come from them and they, and, and they will lay the eggs around and that's in the caterpillars or... All right, so if I don't do anything next year, I will have more and more of them. You may, you may, you may not. Climate might alter it. That's right, If we have frosts or early frosts or something like that. They might, okay. Nature can, you know, have its own checks and balances. Well, one of the good things, quite a lot of these caterpillars will be eaten by birds. And, uh, you know, if you can get a good bird population, and sometimes Mm. you need some of the little birds... Because um, they're often the ones that can clean up all of this. Some of the caterpillars. Or the wattle the, birds. What, yeah, wattle birds a bit. Uh, cuckoo shrike, black cuckoo shrike, or some of those birds. They, they'll eat quite a lot of the caterpillars. So if, if you can have a good bird population, that'll often help control a lot of those things. Okay. Thank you very much for your help. Okay. Bye bye. Bye. Okay, now if Frank is still listening, um, that talk about grasslands, Frank, if you ring this number, I'm sure you can find out further information. Uh, it's the secretary of the Keelor Plains uh, Plant Society group and the phone number is 9336 Great, and now we will go to Lindsay in Nunawading. Good morning, Lindsay. Uh, hello, yes, hello, um, Roger and Gwen and AB. Good, how can we help you? Uh, just asking about um, uh, uh, Greg's Wampy, it's an Australian native from um, up north there, um, uh, southern Queensland. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, it's the course centre. Sorry? Is it Claw Centre? Claw Centre? Yeah, it could uh, be. I, I'm not too sure. How did, do you know how, how to spell it? Uh, C-L-A-U. Yep. S-E-N-A. Yep. Okay. And then um, it was discovered by someone called Greg Smirrell. Uh-huh. And uh, the last name, uh, the last, uh, the, the species is Smirrelliana after him. Okay. okay. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was just inquiring about um, 
the um, cultivation of it. Yeah, look, I, I'm probably not much help okay. to you because yep. I, I haven't really grown it. Yep, yep. I haven't yep. heard of it. So yep. what, what we should do is it's do a bit of homework rare. for you yeah. and, um, you know, provide that information. Well, Mr Google might have information. Yeah, yeah have you yeah. searched online at all, Lindsay? Yeah, 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 I have, yes. Okay. yes. I'm just trying to find out a bit more about it, but, um, yeah. yeah I'm, I, have you got a plant? Yeah, I've got or, a, a oh. small plant at the Good. moment. I've just um, potted it up to the next okay. size tube for the winter and then I'll uh-huh. probably plant it out in spring. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. it, it'll probably, will need some sort of protection over the, yeah. over the... Anyway, look, how about if we, we find out a bit more about it? For okay. you, I was wondering if Lindsay could just ha- hold on and leave his phone number off air, yeah. and yep. we we'd yep. be happy to ring you back. It wouldn't be today, Lindsay. Oh but well, thanks very much, Gwen. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. we'd certainly do that. Um, if you'd like to hold on a minute, okay. um, Vicky will take your number and give it to us when we go off air, and we'll get back to you. Okay then, no worries. Okay, thanks, thanks okay. for your call. Thanks, Lindsay. We don't mind a bit of homework in here, do we? <laughs> <laughs> and I, we, we learn a lot actually I, from I our homework. I was just about to say that. You know, um, you learn so much from talking to other gardeners, talking to other people. We fortunately we never stop learning, and it's like. Visiting the open gardens and talking to the gardeners there and the owners, uh, you just learn so much. Yeah. So it's it's great. Yeah. Wonderful. All right. Uh, now we'll go to Jill uh, from the Herb Society. Good morning, Jill. Good morning, everybody. Um, I want to tell what's happening on Thursday evening, 7.30pm, at Burnley Horticultural College uh, for the Herb Society, and that's in the main building, Room 10. And Lee Peterson is talking about how the colour mauve changed the world. And, of course, he's going to talk a lot about all the herbs that have mauve flowers and some of those that have mauve sort of leaves. So if you're thinking of planting a themed garden, uh, you know, with mauve, mauve-coloured flowers, is that your favourite colour? Well, come along. That's a place to be. Yeah, we also have supper or herbal supper. And um, if you're coming on Thursday, yes, wear something mauve if you can. <laughs> okay. And the um, Melway is um, number 45A12, Melway reference. Okay, good job. And uh, you can park, there's a limited parking inside the grounds, but it's easy to park in the boulevard and come in the main gates. All right. And so, yes, a couple of our members have heard Lee speak on this topic elsewhere and said he's absolutely fantastic. Gives you a whole new view of um, how some new colour, which was actually created, or the name was created, something like in 1820, something like that. Okay. okay. Anyway. So you've picked out what you're going to wear? And it doesn't matter if you're not a member, that's fine. Okay. Come along anyway. All right. Mm, sounds lovely. And sounds you've like got something night. mauve to wear? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. I've got a mauve hat. Okay. All right. Good. <laughs> so you can be absolutely ridiculous or, or wear a bunch of grapes. Uh-huh. <laughs> grapes. Go for it. <laughs> okay. Lavender. Hmm. Can, I, can I ask a question, Of please? course. Um, I've got a nectarine tree in a pot that I want to plant. It's just losing its leaves now, so, you know, in a couple of weeks it should be planted. Um, 
What would be the best aspect, do you think, for that? North, if you can. Facing north. Yeah, yeah, in, the, in a yeah, sunny spot. Um, nectarines, of course, need a lot of sun. So, um, yeah, and probably not west if, if you can help it because um, otherwise it would tend to burn the fruit. But, yeah, north is always a good aspect. Okay. Oh, well, I don't have west. I'm on the sand belt of East Moles and, yeah. <laughs> and uh, 40 years of composting. It's still sand. Yeah. So you're gonna you're gonna build up that soil before you put it in. Oh, I have I have been. You have been, yeah, fantastic. Working on it. Thank you very much. Good on you. Thanks very much, Jill. Great, and we'll go to Ken in Sunshine. Good morning, Ken. Good morning. <coughs> Excuse me. Good morning, everybody. I just wanted to say to me old mate Frank that Craggy Burn's not the only place for grassland. No. There's a fair bit in the western suburbs, but it's diminishing, unfortunately. And it's as important as forest, isn't it? It is. It is, and you're doing a good job out there. So you've had a good response, I gather, listening last week. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. We're going on. We intend to win. And uh, and, um, the community, I mean, all campaigns have got to grow, and this is growing. And what we intend to do, if they don't, if they don't, uh, if they uh, sell, try to sell the park, we're going to we're going to go and camp on it, and um, we won't be moving. We'll put caravans on it. Um, well, it, it'll be a, a community picket line. Yep, yep, good. A neighbourhood picket line. Yes, that's yes. the one. Nice to hear people standing up for the native plants. Oh, no, 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 no. This, this is this, park. this Oh, the parkland, park. yes, yeah. that's right, yeah. yeah. And um, they're, they're not going to get it. And I've seen some other parks that I didn't know that are supposed to be, um, supposed to be uh, left as, um, as paddocks um, for some reason in um, industrial land. I notice they've uh, fenced it off to sell it off, so we're... Um, We'll be doing something about that too. Mm. Anyway, right. thank you very, very much. Oh, good You're on you, my Kim. Sunday church. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. Thanks, Kim. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Now, as I mentioned earlier, this morning we are going to talk with Neil Marriott, who is the Site Development Team Leader for the Wildlife and Art Museum of Australia project. Neil is on the line with us now. Good morning, Neil. Good morning. Love to talk to you this morning. Yes, fantastic. Look, I first learned about uh, WAMA, as it's affectionately known, through its patron, Glenda Lewis. And I'm fascinated by the project as well as the massive scale of it. It seems quite ambitious. Can you tell us what it is and how it all came about? Uh, the Wildlife Art Museum, or WAMA, as, as we call it, is it came about from a, a, the Grampians art community. We had a Grampians Wildlife Art Society functioning in the Grampians region where there were a lot of the resident artists. And so every year we've had big art fairs and um, in East we have an arts trail and so on. And discussion of the local community uh, uh, from all those arts organisations decided it would be a lovely thing if we could establish our own um, art centre where wildlife art was promoted not just for our region but for, for not and not just for Australia but for the whole world so um, eventually that grew and the um, Wildlife Art Museum Association uh, Foundation was established 
and very fortunately, with some very generous benefactors, donated a superb 40-acre property just at the um, foot of the Grampians, just outside Halls Gap, and that's where we're establishing this uh, wonderful um, gallery and botanic gardens. Oh, that's fantastic. Now, the Grampians is a real hotspot for native plants anyway, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. It's over a third of Victoria's uh, entire uh, floral species and about 40 species found nowhere else on Earth but in the Grampians, including our famous Grampian tryptamine, which is still uh, extensively harvested, fortunately these days, out of um, private plantations for, for the cut flower trade. Yeah, yeah. So um, how did you come to be involved? Because I know there's quite a few people on the team. I'm just wondering how you came to be involved and what your role entails. We've got some very, very influential influential people. And you mentioned uh, Glenda and Greg Lewin. They are, they're a driving force behind it. And uh, Glenda and Greg approached myself and said, Neil, would you be um, willing to take on the leadership of site development? Because I'm a passionate native plant fan of been a long, long, long-time fan of Roger and Gwen, and um, they've they've been my heroes since I was a boy, actually. And so it's just been a wonderful thing to, to develop into the um, uh, promoting and growing Australian native plants. And I'm also a, a um, trained horticulturalist and um, environmental consultant. So um, I've been. In this position, I'm using both my skills uh, because a lot of the property has got a conservation covenant on it. Mm -hmm. And so the area protects a beautiful area of Grampian Seathy woodland, an extensive wetland and the open area where all the development will occur. Right. And so will visitors to WAMA be able to explore the grounds as well? Yes, indeed. Yes. That's what's going to make WAMA just so wonderful. This will be a dedicated uh, wildlife art museum uh, featuring the best of, of Australian and the world's um, artists, wildlife artists and sculptors, but it will be set in a unique landscape of Australian flora and fauna. And I say uh, I include fauna as well because at the moment we're in the process of uh, establishing a large vermin-proof fence around the entire property so that and working with um, staff in Grampians National Park and the Halls Gap Zoo, we're actually um, going to be releasing southern brown bandicoots and long-nosed potteroos, both of which occur in the Grampians but are now critically endangered in the wild thanks to the onslaught of um, uh, feral foxes and feral cats. So what a wonderful opportunity. Oh, it is. It's just wonderful. And it'll all be in the grounds, will be spectacular uh, Australian native plants, our iconic uh, Banksias and Waratahs and Grevilleas and all of those sorts of things as well as uh, extensive theme gardens of uh, different parts of Australia. Sure. Oh, I see. So it's not just Indigenous plants. You're going to have native plants through um, exactly, part yes. of the garden because as well. Because we've got uh, uh, covenants on part of the property, in those covenanted areas we can only plant Grampians Uh, endemic plants Mm -hmm. and indigenous plants but elsewhere we'll be planting uh, the best of um, Australia's flora throughout throughout the ground so it'll be very exciting. And who gets to choose what plants are going to go in? Uh, We've uh, developed a collections planning team. Mm -hmm. Roger and Gwen are uh, part of that team. We haven't met, we've had a preliminary meeting at Cranbourne Botanic Gardens John Arnott and Jill Burness, who are senior staff at Cranbourne, they're very, very 
very strong supporters, and so they um, organised um, a meeting at Cranbourne and facilitated our first collections planning team. And from that uh, collections planning team, uh, we will decide exactly what we're, we're going to uh, have in the collection because we can't have everything there. Uh, with climate change, we've realised that we'll be considerably limited in um, being able to grow uh, temperate species and um, east coast species. We just don't get the rain in the grand bins like we used to get. Uh, so we'll be growing probably a lot of inland Australian plants and um, Western Australian plants. So a lot of the famous Western Australian banksias and grevilleas and the like, they absolutely thrive in the hormonal Grampians area. And um, so it'll be very, very exciting to be able to grow all of those. Our collections planning team is waiting until we've had all the soil uh, testing done. We can't really decide what we're going to uh, grow there until we've had the tests to work out pH and uh, air fill porosity and depth of soil and all those sorts of things. Which is pretty important, Neil. It is indeed, Roger, yes. Uh, uh, without I, knowing those, you really don't know what's going to survive there, do you? No, so. and I must admit, I was actually staggered. I was up at the Royal Botanic Garden, Sydney, probably maybe 12 months ago, and would you believe in quite a large area of that garden, they didn't know much about their soils. Oh, really? So for the first time, they were having a soil survey. That's and, incredible, isn't and it? I thought, Times wow. have changed. <laughs> so, yeah, now the, the timeline for the Botanic Garden part, Neil, what, what, what's the... The timeline. The timeline for for stage one of of everything, actually buildings, the, the stage one buildings and the botanic gardens is in, within the next five years. Yep. yep. So yeah, all of, we're we're already um, organising um, uh, concept plans and all that are being done uh, by a couple of major companies in Melbourne right at the moment. They're both uh, landscape architect firms and um, architects. Uh, for a major bid that we're putting in uh, later on in this year. Yep. And uh, so, yes, uh, it's all, all, all steam uh, ahead and it's uh, very exciting to be involved with this. And you're on the lookout for supporters, aren't you? We are indeed, Roger, yes. We've, we need supporters from all over Australia. It's, even though it's uh, based in Halls Gap in the Grampians, we need supporters from all over Australia. We've got all that sort of commitment already from the arts community. We've got artists from the length and breadth of the country. We've got Bill Cooper from uh, Atherton Tableland and uh, Philippa Nikolinski from Western Australia and so on. We've people like that. Celia Rosser, our own Celia Rosser from in Gippsland. They're all the great artists. They're, they're strongly supporting us. But we need community support as well from all over Australia just to um, let the government know that this is going to be something that they want to have to, to happen uh, in our uh, society. Because this is really is, we've had an economic impact study uh, carried out and that has shown that this is going to be huge, not just for the region, but for the whole of Australia, mm. for ecotourism. Yep, no, true. And Neil, uh, you've, uh, the Whammer Foundation has already raised in excess of $1 million in cash and resources, but the goal for Phase 1 is to raise $10 million. How are you hoping to achieve this? Uh, well, at the moment, um, we're, as I said, we're getting 
um, support, verbal support from people uh, going to our website and, and just putting their name down to say that they're there supporting what we're doing. Um, and then they'll get it updated with our regular uh, electronic newsletters. But we've got exhibitions and talks and displays all over the countryside. Uh, the last um, couple of days, uh, my wife and I and all of the... Um, the, the Whammer team, we've been down out at Hall's Gap at the Grampians Grape Escape, which is a huge, big uh, wine and food festival, and we've got a big display there, and we're getting signatures from the public there and um, yeah, fundraising there as well. We're, we're talking to whoever we can. We've just shown the Minister for Tourism from the Victorian Government over our site yesterday, and uh, we've had um, Alex Chernov, our governor, um, the Victorian Governor, to the site, and We've, we've had everyone that we can uh, uh, twist their arm to come and look at the site and uh, everyone who sees it, they're just thrilled by the potential of it and um, what we're planning for the site. So uh, we're, we're just trying to raise uh, that $10 million through donations from the public and from uh, generous benefactors. And we're then once we've got that $10 million, we're then eligible to apply for a, a regional development uh, fund uh, grant dollar for dollar from the federal government for another $10 million, and that'll be in, enough to get us up and started for Stage 1. Yeah, wonderful. And if our listeners want to contribute in some way or find out more about it, how, how can they go about that? Uh, they go to our uh, WAMA website, so it's wama.net.au and, um, and they uh, can pledge their support there. They're, they're uh, um, tabs there that you click and it'll you can just put your name down just to become a supporter or if you'd like to donate there are um, options there for donating to support uh, the Whammer Foundation. Fantastic. Neil, also um, I have a little brochure in front of me here and there's also a phone number given there if people aren't sort of web users. Absolutely, could... yes. I haven't got the phone number there. Oh, look, I, like I, to... I have. Oh, well done. Terrific. <laughs> it's 03, of course, the, the Melbourne area or the Victorian area, 99999-9767. And on the website, Whammer is, of course, just very simple, wama.net.au. Or I've also on this got an email, info at Wama W A M A dot net dot AU. But the phone number again four nines nine 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 and then nine seven six seven. And oh we should mention of course um donations are tax deductible and Neil was probably gonna say you've also got a membership which is not tax deductible fifty dollars a year. Is that right, Neil? That's, that's correct, yes, yes. Uh, it's wonderful that we've got uh, tax-deductible status, uh, which means that now um, companies and individuals can donate to Whammer and get that uh, tax deductibility um, for, for their taxation purposes. And um, as you said, yes, you can also become a, a member, $50 a year, and that uh, uh, then allows, allows you to be involved with uh, Whammer activities. Um, we've got lots of Whammer art activities throughout the year, four big functions a year on the Whammer site, uh, as well as um, various uh, exhibitions and so on. Look, we had last year, we had a, the launch of our Whammer Foundation in Melbourne. We had a magnificent big um, art exhibition at Sofitel, and that was quite superb. And so um, 
if you become a member, then you'll be kept up, up to date with all that's happening with the development of WAMA. Fantastic. And Neil, um, we've got your booklet in here and, you know, I've flicked through it and there's some incredible examples of um, artwork of Australian plants and animals. You've got paintings and sculpture and textile art and drawings uh, by both Australian and international artists. And the quality is really absolutely superb. Is this the kind of thing that you intend to showcase? Exactly, yes. Yes, uh, we've got about 56 artists who have pledged support for WAMA already, and that's probably the 56 top wildlife artists from around Australia. And um, we'll be exhibiting their works as well as um, top uh, wildlife artists, as well as um, having workshops, because we'll have the botanic gardens there with um, spectacular displays of banksias and waratahs and grevilleas and the like in the gardens. It'll, it'll just be a superb spot for um, workshops, for, for training young uh, up-and-coming artists, uh, for developing the skills of, of other artists and, um, and just encouraging the community to become involved in the arts. Uh, we'll also, because the Grampians is, and the Halls Gap in particular is uh, a, a stronghold for school camps, we get thousands, tens of thousands of school kids coming to the uh, Grampians every year for their annual school camps. And so we're working with the uh, education authorities and we've got part of our um, team is an education team and working with the, uh, the education department and uh, various schools, uh, schools will come out and will spend a day or two days at the WAMA site uh, learning not not just about art, but about our Australian environment, about um, resource management, about conserving our, our in, uh, precious resources, water recycling, and all the passive solar uh, energy production, all of that sort of thing. Uh, our natural environment, because we've got covenanted bushland and we'll have wildlife on there that the students can see. We've, because we've got a beautiful area of bushland and wetland, we've already recorded about 115 different species of birds on the property, which is absolutely wonderful because mm. we've only been going a couple of years. No. So once all the gardens are established, it'll become a real mecca for uh, bird lovers. We'll have bird hides there so that naturalists can come and sit and watch birds and uh, there'll be a coffee shop so you can come and have a lovely coffee and then wander around the garden. So it just really, really will be a, a wonderful mecca for uh, tourists from all over the world. Mm. And um, the economic impact has shown that it's actually it's going to cost around $22 million to get it established. But if, if once it's up and running, it's going to bring $29 million a year to the uh, regional economy for all the motel owners and shops and that in the region. Yep. And uh, so it's going to be a win-win for, for the entire community. So it really is going to be a valuable thing for, for the region. Yeah, and an exciting thing. Absolutely, yeah. yes. It sounds like it'll uh, be a real social hub as well. It will become a great social hub. We've also, we're designing the buildings so that they will become a bushfire refuge. So uh, the Grampians, as um, your listeners have probably experienced, uh, had some very nasty bushfires the last 10 or so years. And there is no, um, no safe uh, centre for uh, retreating to if a really bad fire uh, does eventuate. And so the buildings will be designed to be uh, fire-safe uh, bushfire haven, uh, which is a, a first for regional Victoria. So it'll, that'll be a very, very important development as well. And, Neil, will the art be for sale? 
Uh, there will be uh, some art will be for sale. Yes, there'll be uh, travelling exhibitions. There'll be permanent exhibitions, and there'll be um, uh, artists in residence, and they, they will have artworks for sale. So yes, there will be quite. There'll be a number of uh, different galleries, and um, there will definitely be art for sale in a lot of the a lot of the section of of the gallery. Yes. We love your enthusiasm. Yeah, it's absolutely. All power to you. Well, I'm involved not through the art, but through the horticulture and the natural history. That's my love, hmm. and I just can't wait to be working with Roger and Gwen to um, and Cranbourne Botanic Gardens to get our collections planning team up. And I'd like to see a, a collection of rare and endangered plants because yeah, um, it's a perfect region for uh, growing of. We're already growing a lot of rare and endangered plants in our gardens here already. So um, if the gardens could uh, feature a lot of our really spectacular rare and endangered plants from across the country, I think that would also be a wonderful uh, environmental contribution that we, the gardens were providing to our society. Oh, no, there's a huge number of opportunities and uh, it'll be great to, to just mm. see it all happen. Absolutely. I, I love how you're covering so many bases with the one area. Exactly, yes. That's the beauty thing about it, isn't it? That it's the arts, it's the environment, it's education, horticulture, natural history. Uh, it's, you know, it's got a bit of everything. It's just really, really exciting. And, I mean, Victoria is the garden state, and so to establish uh, another um, spectacular regional botanic gardens yep. in the Grampians, which is already famous for its spring wildflowers, mm. it'll just create a really superb draw card for not just the Victorians, but for Australians and international tourists. We're getting huge numbers, um, tens of thousands of Chinese and Japanese and that coming, and Germans and the like, coming from all over the world to the Grampians every year now. And um, this will be just a fabulous spot where they can actually go into the gardens and actually see our flame heath from the Grampians or our um, Grampians tryptamine labelled because out in the bush they're not labelled and a lot of people come. <laughs> what have you been doing, Neil? They're not sure of what they're seeing and they're photographing no. them. No, that's right. So that's it'll right. be just wonderful that it'll become an interpretive um, mm -hmm. feature for the National Park itself. Yep. Uh, excellent. Yeah, and um, one of the things that I really appreciate about what you're trying to do is protecting the native fauna as well. And, you know, I was recently in Alice Springs and uh, there's a spot up there, I'm not sure if you've been there, Neil, called uh, Desert Park. Desert Park is wonderful. Yeah, and yeah. that is really about integrating the local flora, fauna and the cultural aspects of everything. And, and it sounds to me like you're trying to do that sort of thing down there as well. Exactly, yeah. Yes, well, we got our inspiration uh, from Cranbourne Botanic Gardens. Um, Cranbourne's got, um, as you know, it's got the largest population of southern brown bandicoots mm. left in uh, southern Victoria now. And we used to have southern brown bandicoots everywhere throughout the Grampians. Now they're, they're critically endangered. So uh, they were on the property originally, so now this will be an opportunity to allow them to, to be reintroduced. And also the long-nosed potteroo, which is a a wonderful um, native animal that most Australians have never seen. That's right. And yet they, they're here in the Grampians, but no one sees them because mm -hmm. they're so rare. So it'll be wonderful to have these beautiful little critters hopping around uh, throughout the, the bushland on the property. Yep. Yeah, fantastic. Now, Neil, you have got a working bee next weekend, is that right? That's correct, yes. So Saturday the 9th and Saturday and Sunday the 10th of May, where it'll be our first weekend 
uh, camp out on the property. So if people would like to come up and actually camp in the Grampians, you can come up. We're starting work at 10 o'clock Saturday morning. Uh, our property is uh, on the corner of Neal Road and the Hallscap Pomonal Road, so you just head down towards Pomonal and you pass the zoo on the right-hand side of the uh, of the road and then about 200 yards on further on the left, just diagonally opposite the zoo, is the Whammer Foundation site. So come along, uh, bring your gloves and your tools and um, breakfast and that. We'll be we'll providing a lovely barbecue dinner and we'll have some uh, guitarists and um um, musicians and that there for entertaining you on Saturday night. We'll be doing a, a lot of uh, planting. We had hoped that we would have had the autumn break by now, but unfortunately it seems to have forgotten us and it's all gone to Sydney and Brisbane, the rain. Um, but uh, we'll be planting and watering in very heavily. We've got uh, about 150 uh, Indigenous plants to put into the bushland area and there's a lot of uh, cleaning up to be done, weed removal and, and the like. Uh, just tidying up the property. So it'll be just a wonderful educational experience as well as, as a chance to meet a lot of our supporters. So, Fantastic, and people can get uh, get introduced to it at, in its early stages. Exactly, yes. Yeah, oh, well, fantastic, Neil. Look, we've got a few callers waiting, so we will let you go. So thank you very much for taking the time to speak to us about the Whammer Project. My pleasure. Thank you very much for your support. All right, bye for now. Okay, bye-bye. Well, what a fantastic initiative that is. Yeah, yeah wonderful. really wonderful. great. Yeah. All right, now, Alison, uh, we're going to Alison and Warrandyte. Thank you very much for holding on, Alison. Uh, that's Okay. Um, I looked up Claus Senna yes. and found it's in Rutosi family. Yes. yes. And um, so it's related to citrus. That's right. And then I looked up in Louis Lewinsky's book. Yes. And he calls it a wampy. That's right. Oh, you know all about it. Well, no, I don't no. know all about it, but <laughs> you keep going. We know some things about okay. it. Okay. Well, he says it would make a perfect backyard tree. Yep. And he likes the fruit. It was quite sweet, and yeah. um, I thought it sounded quite nice. If if I only knew where to get one, I'd get one. Yeah, look, I, I'm not too sure. That's the type of thing. We'll try and find out a bit yeah. more about it. And, yeah. Uh, We'll talk to Lindsay at some stage too, who rang in earlier. But thanks very much for okay. being it. It's good. You know, we get so many listeners who feed us with lots yeah, of information. Yeah, thanks for doing our research for yeah, us. Yeah, that's right. Okay. But with Louis, you know, he's, he's grown those plants and so he, he knows, you know, he, he's a great bloke and got a huge... If people don't know his book, it's... Um, I'm trying to remember the title of the book. Gwen's got it right in front of her. The Complete Book of Fruit Growing in Australia by Louis Glowinski. And it was published by Lothian, who are no longer in in the business. But, uh, It'll be in libraries. But it's sure. in libraries and you can pick up second-hand copies, I'm sure, on the web. But anyway, look, good on you, Alison. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. Okay, bye for now. Bye. Now, someone has um, phoned in on the outside line and just wanting us to um, comment on whether you can eat lily-pilly fruit. And the answer to that is yes. I'm pretty sure you can eat. I think may, there might be a couple of species which you would avoid, but yeah, pretty, certainly. Pretty, pretty well okay. If any of the ones that are commonly grown around here, they'll be fine. Some are much tastier say, than some others. Some are more palatable than That's others. Right, There's yeah. also clove lily-pilly, which is very clove flavoured mm-hmm. um, but you know yeah and and some also um, 
are more convenient in terms of the the pips they've got inside and how much flesh they've got. Mm. But I don't think any of the sosigiums or acminas are toxic. No. Uh, the one that we, you know people have often known as lily pilly going way back when uh, tends to have maybe mauve or whitish fruits, uh, roundish. That They're not very tasty at all. But the the species called or Syzygium austral, which a lot of the cultivars around now selections are from that. Um, they're, they're an elongated fruit and they're very, very tasty. And also Syzygium paniculatum um, has good fleshy fruit and uh, the magenta fruit, coloured fruit, and, and they're, they're fine. They're great. Mm. And so. there's such difference in sizes, isn't there? Yeah. I mean, you can get some of the fruit, which is almost apple size. That's right, yeah. Um, that's right. Sizygium jambos, I think, is one of the large ones. You know, it's yep. not, not a native one, but it's uh, a really tasty fruit, mm. you know, really nice. So, yep, so if people want to try, um, especially Sizygium austral, elongated fruits or... So Zygium paniculatum, they're fine. Mm, yeah. I know we, we use them for putting on our muesli and stuff, and they're, and they're great with ice cream. You know, oh, too. yeah. Yeah, that's a, they're lovely. They're, there's a slight there's sweetness, but there's a tartness yep. to them too, and, and they're crunchy. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah. I just mentioned with that, uh, just looking up about that Clausina, the particular one in Louis Glowinski's book is a species from Thailand. Okay. Now, I think the one that... Um, yeah, it's a different one. Uh, there are native ones. Yeah, yeah it, Lindsay rang in about is a, an Australian one, so yep. we need to do more research on that. But uh, as you say, it's in the citrus family and it's got species from various areas of the world. Yep. Mm, wonderful. All right, now um, we are going to Lee in Merrick's North. Good morning, Lee. Thanks for hanging on. Good morning, panel. That's fine. I loved the uh, term somebody used earlier on the program about it being your program being their Sunday church. It's mine too. I've got to <laughs> Wonderful. Well, we've got a congregation of yeah, two. Have, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's much more than that. Is it? Neil's okay. enthusiasm for this wonderful project oh. in Mount Gambier was so infectious, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, wonderful. absolutely. Yeah. Um, I was, Neil's a, he, he's... He's a fantastic, he's just so enthusiastic and uh, he's a very knowledgeable person on plants, especially grevilleas and things, but a whole range of stuff and he's, you know, he's the, the right man for him to drive the botanic garden side of things up there, that's for sure. I um, Talking about grevilleas, the earlier caller, was it Roger, another Roger? Uh, uh, about the grubs, the little grubs. Oh, on yeah. Oh. Recurring year after year on his grevilleas. Oh, um, yeah. I thought... If it was me, I'd be hitting them with Dipel. Yeah, which, well, di- Dipel can be quite good. you didn't mention Dipel. I just no, wondered if there was some reason you. why you didn't mention Dipel. No, look, I, I didn't think about it. Actually. Oh, OK. Because Dipel, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a proteaceae cut flower grower. Yeah, On fine. the Mornington Peninsula. Yeah, yeah. We no, use it for light brown apple moth on yes. leucodendrons. It doesn't yeah. smother anything, but you, if you ingest it, it's not yeah. good for you. No, that's right. <clears throat> no, good. No, look, thanks for that, Lee, because Dipel is very useful. The main thing is to uh, what, put it on slightly cloudy days, better than really sunny days. Yeah, yeah. Do you, you want find... it on a, at a dry period. You want it to yeah. stay there. I dare say yeah. when it rains, it gets yeah. washed away That's because right. it's got to yeah. stay on the leaves. They've got to eat it. Yes, yes. Uh, so it will. It won't smother ladybirds or any other no, no, things like right. that. But anything that eats your bushes, yeah. it will hit. That's right. So yeah. that's D I P E L. It is. If people are, are looking it's easy out for to it. use. And, uh, I know yeah. a lot of the vineyards around me here use yeah. it. You know, it's, it's not, very... not so good for the taller plants, of course. It's no. uh, always a bit tricky. Yep. 
Oh, it blazed it away. I just blazed away with it with a long arm on my wand. Um, <laughs> Good. Next question. I yep. have a question. Connor Stylish yes. mentioned earlier. At yeah. the beginning of the season in the spring, I bought several interesting plants that I hadn't had before to trial down here in my garden. Uh-huh. So this was Connor Stylish Silver Sunrise. Okay. It's still just sitting there. It has it flowered. It had okay. the flowers on that it had when I bought it. Mm-hmm. But it, it hasn't increased in size. It hasn't done anything. It doesn't look all that well. Um, okay. Is it not going to like it here, or should I be hitting no, it? No, look, it, it should be. Uh, I think I'm trying. Silver Sunrise, I think, is one called Candy Cans, Connor Stylus Candy Cans, maybe. I've got Candy so, Cans. Oh, it's just got little yellow flowers standing up, sort of. Okay. Um, oh, yes, Candy Cans. You're quite right. Connor okay. Stylus Candy Cans, Silver and a, Sunrise. Yeah, great greyish foliage. Yep. And, um, yellow flowers. Yeah. Um, look, sometimes, though, they can sit there for a little while, and then they'll take off. E- even... Winter sometimes is their growing period. Oh, okay. So you might find you start to get new growth. So you, what you've had it in for a couple of months? Oh, three or four. Even. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Look, I'd I'd say winter and spring you're going to get some good growth. But even just to give it something like uh, one of the seaweed tonics, um, they'll take a little bit of fertilising. But if it's just that old, there was probably enough fertiliser in the pot to last it. You know, right. I, I wouldn't start fertilising now anyway. So it is a perennial. Yeah, it's a perennial, and um, yes, it's a, it's a coastal plant. It's mainly coastal, but it's uh, for people who don't know, it can get up to say, well, fifty centimetres tall, probably. Yeah, the um, ticket says height twenty centimetres, spread thirty centimetres. I was thinking uh, okay. that that might be a smaller selection, Rog, with oh, that cultivar okay. name. Could could be too. Yeah. But they're starting to do some work on on conostylus selections and things like that. So, but it um, does have lovely greyish. Yours has got lovely greyish foliage. Well, it was when I bought it. It's now looking a bit sort of faded. And yeah, yeah. So gr- well, grubby, really. Yeah. Would the seaweed product called Plant Starter, which is designed to uh, promote root development, oh, yeah, that, that would could, that be yeah, that useful help. for a young yeah, plant? I, yeah. I that, think any of the seaweed would. products, yeah, would mm. definitely yeah. definitely help. Okay, that's what we'll do today. And now, sunshine, I've got one more, of course. If I can. Yes. Yeah, of one course. More. Bought okay. on the same day. Looked stunning. So it's a petitilotus. P-T-I-L-O-T-U-S. Exaltatus. Yes. Joey. Yep. Is that a perennial? Maybe not. No, okay, well, it's just completely died down and I didn't know whether the heat yeah, hoed or yeah, whether it was going yeah. to reshoot and come flying back in Look, the spring. Sometimes they may, sometimes they may last a couple of years, but uh, they tend to be somewhat short-lived. Ah, well, it was very short-lived. Okay. <laughs> okay, Stunningly well, we beautiful plants. Uh, for people who don't know it, it's one of the sort of arid desert area plants mm. mostly, isn't it, yeah, Roger? Yeah, sometimes called pussy tails. Yeah. yeah, oh, it was very pretty. Mullamullas yeah. or yeah, mullamullas, and uh, but yeah. they're they're an interesting group. Some of them are perennial for sure, but uh, that that one is uh, tends to be short lived. When you say a perennial, that, to me that's a confusing term. Sometimes uh, it sort of goes oh, on. Yeah. All other perennials die back and come mm, again, die back yeah. and come again. But mm-hmm. neither the conostylus nor the um, ex, uh, Tylotus should do that, no, you know. No, they're not herbaceous perennials. No, they don't, yeah, no, they they don't, don't die back and then re-come again. No. Okay, so it's Tylotus. You just ignore that P on yeah, the tongue. Yeah, yes. ignore that, ignore the yep. P. And there's a few, there's some little prostrate ones, you know, if you don't want to dabble in that sort of stuff. There's some good ones and you can grow them from seed quite easily if you want to get some seed. 
But they have done a little bit of breeding work mm. on some of them, and that's the ones that are around in the trade at the moment. Well, it was looking very showy and flashy when I bought it. Mm. Yeah, I was thrilled yeah. a bit, but yeah. it just—it it did its thing, and down it's gone. Mm. So often the case, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> like a bunch of flowers, you see. Thank you very much. Yeah, good on you, Lee. Thank you. Bye for now. Thanks, Lee. Oh, great. And uh, look, Jan of Lilydale has called in to say that she kills her caterpillars by squashing them. Which, Good on you, Jan. Yeah, yeah, that, that's always, it's always preferable. Um, I had a, a hachia, a very thorny hachia, and um, it kept dying back. And I was, you know, examined it from top to bottom, couldn't see what was going on, pruned it back, and new, new growth came up nice and green, fantastic, and then started dying back again. I was like, oh, I have to get to the bottom of this. And when I looked closely, I found these brown caterpillars, oh. identical colour to the actual leaves. They'd just, just be lying Not flat stupid. along the stem. They were, yeah. just, yeah, yeah loopers, so cheeky. Yeah. 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 So there's a grevillea looper, which, you know, gets stuck into hakeas and grevilleas and... They can do a lot of damage yeah. over time. But at least they're fairly large and once you get your eye in That's right. As soon as I noticed it, yeah. then I started seeing the others. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then there no. was no hiding. No, well, <laughs> it was interesting. We had a couple of prestantas, mint bushes, just growing at the front of our place. And all of a sudden there was an influx of lupus on there. I'd, I'd never seen these lupus on a prestanta before. And... Uh, so Gwen would go out every morning and had, used to get a few every morning, oh, I didn't you? one or two each morning. It's only a very small plant, less than a metre tall. Yeah, but they're always there. Yeah. And all of a sudden, they started to disappear. And lo and behold, there's praying mantis. In oh. The, and so they're great for getting rid of that sort of stuff. And there was two two praying mantis, that's all, all I could see. Yep. But they were even on to some other things, onto little plectranthus they'd got onto there. And the plectranthus, the leaves will look pretty ratty, uh, but now it's just fine. So it's it's the benefits of having things like praying mantis around. Yeah. You know, you may not have birds, and we should have mentioned that before perhaps, but praying mantis are great for keeping a lot of things under control. Yeah. So um, where you live now, you have native gardens? Uh, yeah, yes. yeah, we yeah. have. We've yeah. just been doing and a bit the... of replanting. Yep. Yeah. We're in one of those things called a village Yes. Yeah, yeah, I remember when you moved. So yeah. I was wondering how you went going from having your own garden to an, an area where perhaps um, yeah, well, it's, it's, the uh, plants are chosen for you. No, <laughs> no. Well, no, no. It, we're, we're, you can talk to management and mm-hmm. we've changed our front garden completely. Uh, what was there when you got there? Uh, flax. Yep. Euphorbias. Oh, yes. Seeding everywhere. Yep. We've got a crepe myrtle, which they're, they're, we're oh, retaining. Oh, lovely. Yeah, yeah. we keep, keep yes. crepe myrtle. But... Um, and there was, uh, oh, there's dietes and things like that, so they seed everywhere. Mm. But um, so, yeah, we've changed that and around. You can do anything you like in the back part. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and we've done quite a, a bit of, of planting there too. So, yeah, it's a much smaller. We were on half an acre, so it is much smaller. Mm. But it, there's quite a bit of space. It's actually, mm. you know, large, larger than some of the these villages. The gardens are very small, but it's okay. And the policy for the... For the management of the gardens of the of the the villages to to plant mainly Australian plants, mm-hmm. so and they've got a mix, and people can have what they like in there, you know. So it, it it's good; it works pretty well. And I suppose it would give you time for other projects. Oh, fiddle, oh, yeah. fiddle around, get get sidetracked pretty easily these days, AB. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's so true. And um, I guess you get to spend a bit more time down at Cranbourne. 
Yeah. Yes, we'll be there again this afternoon. We were there yesterday, and but no, look at as Neil was saying, the the Cranbourne Botanic Gardens is another very special place in Victoria that mm. we're very lucky has happened in our lifetime and is continuing to be developed and. Uh, that's why we moved to where we are, to be closer to Cranbourne, to cut our road miles, which is another environmental consideration these days. Absolutely. As well as it just driving you mad. It's um, environmentally sensible to not have to do more driving than you really need to. So that's why we're enjoying being close to the gardens. Yeah, and how is Cranbourne looking? I haven't been down there since about oh, November. Yeah, look, stage two, part of it's going very well. They've got a few little problems and with any new planting, there's always something that, that crops up. Yeah. And, uh, they've had a few places where there's excess moisture, mm-hmm. and so that's caused a few few problems. But yeah. they're, they're getting on the top of that, I think. But the great thing about the Cranbourne Gardens is it's, you know, it's 360-odd hectares, so it's large. The planted area is small, but, you know, Neil, Mary, it was mentioned before about southern brown bandicoots. Yeah. Well, there's about 300 on the, on the property, so it's uh, probably, yeah one of the best populations of southern brown bandicoot. So you can go into the bush and you can ride your bike. There's a circuit. You can ride bikes around. And there's picnic areas. out. There's two lots of different picnic areas out in the bush area. So there's lots of options. You know, mm. if, if you just want to walk, you can walk on the trails. And uh, so you can have a great time down at Cranbourne. Yes, fantastic. Oh, well, um, nice to visit there this afternoon, perhaps. Yes. Um, look, now that's all we've got time for for now. So first of all, I'd like to say thank you to Vicky and Anne for manning the phones and thanks so much to Pete for operating the computer for us. And thanks, of course, to Gwen and Roger for sharing your story and your amazing knowledge. And um, thanks to listeners for tuning in to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name is A.B. Bishop and until next week may all your skies be blue unless you need the rain. (laughs) Well, some people do need rain. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.